Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sandspence Radio, best listened to in the bath. Welcome to Movie Maintenance, where some films just need fixing. Today, we're looking at X3. X-Men 3, as it stands, what do we all feel about it? Mm-mm. <laughs> nah. Nah? nah. Yeah, nah? I, I mean, like, it. I love it. No, I, I love it for bad. It's kind of the difference between X3 and, like, X-Men Origins. Wolf- yeah? Yeah, the, not oh, Wolverine. Uh, not class? the Wolverine. No, 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 like the one in between. So the um the first Wolverine film? Yes. Oh, that was So that is, good. like, it's so bad you can't like it. Yeah. X3 is bad, but bless. <laughs> because you're bad. I, I liked some aspects of X3. Overall, I was very disappointed with the X3. The team dynamic, not too shabby oh, in X3. Not too shabby. Team dynamic was great. Uh, Hank McCoy, being played oh. by Kelsey Grammer. Oh. Beautiful, perfect casting. Good special effects makeup for him. You're making me blush. I, I love Beast. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a confession. Um, I, I really liked it. Like, I liked it just as much as I liked yeah. the first two when it came out. Mind you, I would have been, what was it, 2006? I would have I, been 13. You know, I liked it. And I, I actually remember it, like, fairly clearly, all things considered. Like, you know, there was the stuff, the Golden Gate Bridge and, like, The Cure and mm. fucking Angel. And even even then, what, what was that about? Why was why was Nightcrawler not there? Mm. Uh, like, because of the uh, yeah. uh, Brian Singer left to do Superman Returns. I think Angel, actually, the characterization of Angel, or at least the scenes where Angel's in it, particularly opener of... Uh, X3, like if you of him filing to remember those who haven't seen it in a long filing time. Filing of the wings, filing the wings, is great, fantastic. Like that opening scene was just beautiful. I'm wondering now, like I just want to throw this out there because a lot of the blame for that film seems to fall at Brett Ratner's feet. You know, at the time I saw it, 2000, yeah, 2006 would have been around the same time when uh, my obsession for the Hannibal Lecter films was at its mm. highest. And Brett Ratner directed Red Dragon, which mm. I it's always really good. quite liked. It's yeah. it's not as good as Manhunter, but it's like it's a good film. And like it's fairly well directed. And like particularly in fact if I was gonna say there was one thing about Red Dragon that is like really well, like it's a really well made atmospheric film. Mm. And so I'm just it makes me wonder like it's people are so just kind of like, oh the moment Brett Ratner took over the X-Men films went to shit. And I'm like, well is it? It seems to me like it's more of a script problem than a. Well, it, it's a direction. several thing problem. Yeah. I think so. It's fine, I guess. 
trying to think yeah. of like I I would put the blame on the script. Oh, I, I would too. It looks nice. It's filmed cool. Yeah, not interesting because it's pretty standard. Not. But it's like was was what Brian Singer did in the first two films. Well, exactly. Like I, I'm a I'm a huge X Men fan. Like my I I my childhood is steeped in X Men. So I approach these X Men films like yeah. again as a diehard fan. And I remember being a teenager, being I think in year seven or eight or whatever it came out, and actually not really liking the first X Men film because it was kind of like. Oh, this isn't the X-Men from the 90s that I loved. Um, but X-Men 2 is still one of my favorite superhero films. And then when X-Men 3 came out, it was disappointing. And not because of the direction or anything like that. It is simply because of what Brian Singer set up in X-Men 2 of Phoenix or Jean Grey mm. saving um, the mutants and sacrificing herself and basically uh, self-sacrificing herself, literally. And then you see the giant Phoenix firebird in the lake and it's sort of setting us up for the Phoenix returns, like the birth uh, yeah. uh, of the Phoenix, as well as then... Which is a primo story. Yeah. Like, it is sick. Oh, it's one of the seminal stories um, that Cl- Chris Claremont did. And and it's off chops. It is. It's and great. Why Phoenix works... And Can also you give me a quick rundown of dark... that? Okay. Because I just know it from like the... I, I assumed the Phoenix story was the dark Phoenix story. Okay, I so... I'm going to handball that. As somebody who's not it. a comic <clears throat> All right. reader. So the Phoenix saga, it sort of re- results from... Um, sort of they're often a mission in space. The X-Men are often a mission in space. Um, and as they're returning to re-entry, Jean Grey is exposed to sort of deadly radiation of a solar flare. And she's like, but hey, I'm going to try and save everybody. And so she kind of uses her telekinetic powers and sort of saves the saves the ship that they're all sort of landing in. And they sort of plummet into the, um, uh, uh, I think it's like something bay from memory. Um, so basically what happens is she saves the X-Men, she saves the day. And then she's got sort of new these new powers and then she starts calling herself Phoenix. And then this other group of villains called the Hellfire Club. They sort of were c- they in uh, first class? Pr- probably yes. Yeah, so it's Sebastian, Sebastian Shaw, yeah, the right, White yeah, Queen, yeah. Black Bishop, all of those kind of things. Yeah, and they're yeah. like a hoity-toity dress up in all very sweet garb. I always feel like awesome. they're like a sort of rip off of like the Illuminati kind of deal. Yeah, basically. like they control everything. Like, mm. yeah, they do. Um, and so what happens is one of the members, Jason Weingard, and he's the mastermind. He's like an illusionist. Uh, and Illusions, he is, Michael. Illusions. And he wants to persuade Jean Grey to become the new Black Queen. So then he starts kind of invading her dreams, invading her thoughts, because he makes all these like beautiful illusions. And she starts think going crazy and thinking that she's the, this person who was like in the 1912s and all this kind of stuff. I think it's like 1700s. Or even 1700s, like something old like timey that. person. Yeah, old timey. Old timey bad guys. Yeah, old timey bad guys. They wear like garters and shit. It's great. Um, some other bullshit nonsense goes down. Um, they in Jean Grey gets kidnapped by the Hellfire Club, and she starts working as a Black Queen for a little bit. They sort of all invade the Hellfire Club's mansion or wherever they the little club yeah. place. Wolverine just goes off chops. It's great. Um, and Jean Grey just goes nuts because Jason Wine goes like she, she's powerful. She's like this new force is great, and I want to use that for my own personal means. And so she finally gets snapped out of it, and she's like, "Fuck you, you piece of tiny shit! I am a god, and you're just an insignificant ant." And just like fucks up his mind completely. Like she's like, "You want power? Here it is," and it like destroys him. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then she's like. What the fuck am I? Uh, I'm a giant bird. And then she just chuffs off into space. 
and she's hungry because commits a, genocide. And she does. She goes and eats a planet. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. She eats a planet in a different solar system, and there's one planet that's sort of around that and just blows it up, basically. So and she does commit genocide. Then she comes back to Earth, and then. I think Xavier shuts down the Phoenix part of that brain and she's all like, oh, what the fuck did I just do? And everyone's just chill bit for a bit. And then the Star Jammers, not the Star Jammers, no, sorry, then the, the um, Shia, yeah, sorry, the, the Shia Imperial Force people. Now, the Shia have mentioned ah, in other the podcasts, birdies. but they're bird people. They're an avian space human race. And Xavier's girlfriend. Cold. And Xavier's girl- girlfriend, Lalandra, is the queen. Oh, at that point, she was alive and the queen. Uh, and they're like, come down to Earth and they're like, she just she just ate a whole planet or a sun and killed the planet. And the, the X Men are like, what? <laughs> so um, our gene, what? And they're like, so gonna have to kill her because uh, well, she she did just ate a planet. ate eat planets and commit genocide. So uh, well, she's under arrest and we're gonna probably kill her. And then Xavier's like, ah, 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 I am going to invoke some bullshit Shia uh, 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 law, which is like, hey, let's have a challenge. My team versus your team, and if we win, we're sweet, and we're going to fight on the moon. So they go to the moon, uh, the dark side of the moon, which or the blue area of the moon. Comics are great. Comics are great. <laughs> and so then it's like the X-Men versus the Sh- and Shia Imperial Guard. Uh, so there's like a day, that's the hat's happening tomorrow. And they have this like beautiful like a day before where they're all just having a chat and all having a think about like what's going to happen and we did kill a planet and I'm sort of conflicted and all this bullshit goes on. And so they have the fight and things are looking pretty good. I think they're sort of winning. But then Jean Grey goes to one of these um, places of like because it's all, all this technology that exists there on the blue area of the moon from some other place that was there. Maybe um, Inhumans, maybe Cree, something is there. There's some stuff that's there. Yeah. And so she rigs up this like timer gun to like shoot her because she feels herself slipping and the Dark Phoenix or the Phoenix Force is coming back into her mind to sort of um, take control over herself. And so as she's doing that, she's like, hey, Scott, I love you, but I can't do this. And then she sacrifices herself and blows up and it's all beautiful and it's all sad. And that is, in a sense, the end of, of Jean Grey. It was meant to be the end of Jean Grey. How However, many times has she come back since then? So, How many times have they all come back? So yeah. many. How, so this was uh, initially meant to be the end of Jean Grey. So what I think Claremont wrote it to be, the end of Jean Grey. And for a long stipulation, they wanted some editors wanted to bring this person back, Jean Grey, back. Um, however... Jim Shooter, who was the editor in Time, was like, you can bring her back if you make sure she wasn't responsible for killing a whole planet of people because we can't bring this person back if she's responsible for killing a whole bunch of people. It doesn't make sense. She's not a hero anymore. She slaughtered a planet. And so I think it was Kurt Busiek. I think I'm pronouncing his name very wrong, but he had this idea of, which I'll explain in a sec, of this is how you get um, Jean Grey back. And so what happens and how, it explains it, how it's explained to be is that when she crashed or when they, all the X-Men crashed into this bay, um, the Phoenix Force came in and was like, I'll help you, I'll protect you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the body of Jean Grey and everything like that and we're going to put you in a cocoon, wrap you up and just chuck you in the bay area, the bottom of the sea, the bottom of the lake, and I'm going to like make a carbon copy of your body and your memories memories and and all this kind of stuff. So for all intents and purposes, I'm basically a Phoenix Force wearing a Jean Grey suit that thinks it's Jean Grey. Got it? Comics. Comics. So 
All right, that, that's I'll go, what I'll go with it. But... Uh, and then when they eventually, so, so Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic, do find Jean Grey eventually, but by this time, um, Scott Summers has sort of moved on and he's married to another woman called Madeline Pryor, who Jeez, is like a good. secret cl- clone of Jean Grey, but we'll get to that later. So or that's never a, well, nah, in we'll. this. Okay, all right. Okay. So, uh, so that's a bit of X-Men ex. Explanation. Um, Expository. For, exactly. So, X Law. Yeah. For, for those who want to know more about X Men, I highly recommend a podcast called Rachel and Miles Explain the X Men. They go into a lot more in depth than what I just did uh, um, about the history of X Men because it is a lot more convoluted than what I just said. And they're really interesting to they listen are. to. They're very good. I love them. They are the best. Um, so, that's sort of the Dark Phoenix saga where it comes from. Okay. Cool. Mm. So as That's you can see, significantly different. To the okay. Film. So, much so different. now we go to X three. Yes. So back to X three. Forget um, everything you just heard. Yeah, please. Right. Do. Good. So, Great. Glad. But things what makes the Dark Phoenix saga so good and so impactful is of what came before. You needed the Phoenix saga to get the Dark Phoenix saga. So you know, Jean Grey had to come back and be like, "I'm the sweetest." To then be like, oh, now she's turning to be dark. And that's what you sort of needed. And I mm. didn't really like what X-Men 3 did. It tried to jam so many things. Like, it tried to... It No, it was kind of like you get these two stories. Mm. Skim the top of it. Yeah. Mash it together. Exactly. And, and it was I really, really half that. It, it was. And one of the things I really hate about this whole thing is the cure. Like, especially the end where Rogue takes the cure. That pisses me off so much because it took me ages to realize oh magneto wants to kill the kid mm. oh because i just like never mention it he just finds out about it from when like he briefly saves mystique mm. she sacrifices herself yeah and then he's like i'm done mm-hmm. that's all he finds out about it like they've written it so the characters have a shit ton of assumed knowledge but it kind yeah. of doesn't make sense see that's what i like about magneto's character and and he's he's always going to do the sort of the tough decisions to mutant kind yeah. that xavier probably wouldn't do wolverine might but xavier wouldn't do because Exa- magneto would see this leech character as yeah. someone who is going to cause a lot more harm for mutant kind and the humans are going to yeah. use him as a weapon which they do so he needs to kill him at the source yeah and that's what magneto does and that's why i like magneto as a character but this i always whole like magneto but it's, it's really messily done because mm. at the point like when he goes to like that meeting mm. of the mutants being like that they're, they're like talking about the cure and then he goes mm. and recruits some new people. Yeah. All he knows at that point is they have a cure, not where it comes from. Yeah, you're right. Then he's like Let's kill a kid. I'm great. <laughs> what do you guys do? You may join me, not you. It's that kind of deal. Like, Yeah. See, I always felt like X-Men at its heart. And the reason why I think X-Men sort of gels with a lot of people and connects a lot of people is because it's always been about the mutants fitting into a world that sort of hates and fears them. Um, you know, again, they sort of talk about it's, you know, the repressed, the minority, the people who can't change who they are and they sort of fight for equality. You know, it's, it's why the X-Men and the Marvel mutants um, really resonate so well within our culture. And, you know, whatever group you identify or belong to, you know, you can sort of see the parallels uh, in the early days. It was like the civil rights um, with African-Americans. Uh, then it kind of went to sort of gays, lesbian, transgender, whatever. And they're sort of adopting this similar message of what the X-Men were. It's just sort of, yeah. you see these sort of allegories, parallels. And the message is always the same. This is who I am. I can't help it. And yes, while well, my life would be so much better if I wasn't born this way, that if I was born normal in your eyes, um, 
that would be great. But that's not how the world works. And being a mutant is not a choice. I'm stuck with this. This is a life I'm dealt with. So you need to sort of accept me as who I am. And that's what is great about mutants. And that's what is great about this sort of really explore these sort of storylines. So when you have Rogue at the end of this fucking film. I have so many issues with Rogue in. Oh, and when she's cured, uh, it's as, to me, it was a slap in the face it's to that mythos and that core identifier. Because, like, I understand her powers, it would suck being rogue, mm. like, but also, come on. Yeah, like, that's, Solidarity. That's, the, that's the problem of the mutant. Sometimes it's a gift, sometimes it's a curse, and yeah. it's all about adapting and living with who you are I and think, accepting of that. I think Beast is kind of a yeah. better way to handle that because Definitely. he's like, I am so obviously different. He uses that at points to his advantage. Like mm. in this film, he's like the secretary of mutant affairs. They go behind his back anyway, cause damn dirty humans. <laughs> but mm-hmm. oh, he's just, he's just a my golden boy. He is. But Beast was like, the one thing I really enjoyed about this whole film. And so when you have, again, Rogue accepting this cure and then Bobby being like, oh, well done Rogue. Now we can finally touch. To me, it is a real slap in the face. Compared to, say, Bobby Iceman's scene of him, sort of that coming out scene in X-Men 2 where he's yeah. like, I'm a mutant. And his mum's like, have you tried not being a mutant? Yeah. That's really great. And it really, that's the whole point of X-Men. It's like, have you tried not being a mutant? No, I'm, I am what I am. Yeah, I could blend in I, but whatever. I'm a mutant. Deal mm. with it. Yeah. So um, the concept of a mutant cure is not really a new one and particularly in the comics. But, again, it's usually something that's um, nefarious or it's a scam or, or something like that. It's it's not really a cure. Yeah, it's it's usually about luring mutants in, doing some fucking tests on them, and they're usually worse off than what they were when they entered. Mm. It's not a cure. In, in where they get this from, in Whedon's um, storyline, you know, it's actually because they've been experimenting on Colossus, who they've brought back from the dead and all this kind of stuff, and it's about... Um, uh, this guy called Ord, who's from the Break World, and X Men. One of the X Men is destined to destroy that world, and that's why he wants to cure mutants. Comic books, they're beautiful. Um, yeah. And so it would have been great to see something again like that. I- instead, you know, now it's like, oh no, there is a cure for mutations. So for everyone who's having a shit one out there, there is now a magic cure. All how great is this? Yeah. And that to me undermines that whole message of X Men and, and sort of underlining themes. You know, sentinels are chasing us and killing us. Well, what do we do? Let's all just take this cure because fuck that noise. You know, mutants are a possible future threat. Well, let's just put this cure into the water supply. Hey, let's put the cure in guns. But guns is very much like a a military thing that they do, whereas one would be like, well, why don't you just have something where it's in the water supply, where it's, uh, uh, you know, you blow it up over a city or something like that, where it dissipates into the atmosphere. Um, Because when you introduce a cure, and not just the idea of a cure, but an actual working cure, and I know it's hinted in the, like, like the final scene that it does stop working, but when, for the sake of this film, it's a working cure. So when you introduce a cure, it breaks the universe because then their plights about being accepted make no fucking sense. It's like, yeah, sure, accept me for who I am. However, I, I'm, I'm a blue furry son of a bitch, but hey, I can take this cure now and live my life normal. So now it is on me. It is my fault to stay this yeah. way. Hmm. So- I don't know. Actually, you know, i got to say, I don't mind the whole idea of the cure because, you know, that, that whole challenge of being put to someone, you know, like, you know, I suppose... Mm. You know, if you, if you could choose to be different, yeah, would you? Like, I remember reading- um, I think they have that, like, conversation, though, amongst the students. Yeah. Like, I think there is a point in the film where some are like, 
shit, yeah, a cure, and then the others are like, there's nothing wrong with us. Exactly. And yeah, that's, but that, so, yeah, but that's probably the crux of the film. But at the same time, like, I think, yeah, I think you're, you're right in that, like, the cure. I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's a it's ripe with dramatic potential because it really explores that whole idea of if you could change the things about yourself that you would don't you? like and can't help, would you? And it ties into that whole theme of accepting yourself and loving yourself and all that, which is very much great. what it's about. And, and, you and can it still have that and there. It, yeah, it crystallizes that whole conflict. But yeah, the idea of it working? actually working and then it's that like, is what I have umbrage with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but but so, then I suppose you you really can say, like, at the end of the film, it kind of. It doesn't matter. You know, by the that. time you get to a future past, everyone's yeah, fine. It, it's it never mentioned again. Forget about it. Because yeah. continuity. So, who cares? Great. So, again, in this day and age, we can really equate the mutants uh, with sort of gay rights. And in the hands of a homosexual or a bisexual individual like uh, Brian Singer, you know, we had great moments in X-Men 2 especially. Like, again, that Bobby's coming out scene is so rememberable and remarkable to me. Um, so, again, when you have this plot device that cures mutants with no, like, literally no side effects... It, Maybe if there were some fucked up side effects yeah, or something. Exactly. If there like, was, that'd be great. But to me, to me, is this like, and look, I am not a gay individual, but to me, this is saying uh, not only do you have something that the rest of the world thinks is wrong and that you are incorrect by, you know, no choice of your own, but just by the genetic uh, lottery. And we now have this thing that makes you, you know, quote, normal. And the villains of this piece are the group of people that say, no, fuck that. That's wrong. That needs to stop. That's not a great message. And the more I think about it, the more it genuinely offends me. Because Magneto is the villain in this situation. He is the bad guy. And he's the one that is like, what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. That's fucked up. And that's why Magneto is so great, though, because he does... Hmm. You guys makes it hard. You guys have watched the film more recently than me, so Hmm. please, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I kind of remember the film painting it in that Magneto had the right idea but was going about it the wrong way. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, kind that's of how I... Yeah, that's Magneto. Like, but, yeah, like, yeah, because I don't think... Yeah, in a nutshell. Like, Magneto was saying, yeah, this, but I thought part... Oh, man, I, now I really wish I'd I think the film. he's more but, like, hey, I want change, quick mm. change, rather than, like, a diplomatic kind but I think of deal. What was, and being the quick change, being like, Magneto's yeah, let's the kill the threat. So he's, he's yeah. saying... What he's saying is not necessarily wrong. Mm. In fact, what he's saying is right. Yeah, this Extremely is fucked. Right, yeah. But he's taking away At what everybody's cost? choice to like make these mistakes themselves by saying, no, this is wrong. Mm. No, whereas, and take basically cutting the whole challenge out of the equation that there are people like Rogue yeah. who would look at it and think, well, it's making my life worse. I mean, the prob- I think the biggest problem to me what this film had is the fact that this is such complex material. Mm. If mm. we took this yeah. and made this a drama film about somebody introducing like a cure for being gay or something, mm. then this would be this would require an incredibly nuanced, steady hand yeah. to deal with it. Well, exactly. Not fucking people writing comic book films. Well, and, that, like, I, and that's I, the and subtext the is, here. I disagree. Like, I think with comic book films, you have that uh, ability to say something about a particular thing where people are being like, why isn't there, isn't, well, you know, how gay, gay is being a choice yeah. as a cure for it and, and we can kind of experiment over here without large, being so heavy And a large, easily accessible hmm. audience. Like people, yeah. like people are like, yeah, superhero films, like oh, I just want to go oh, have yeah, a very and good it's, time. It's, X-Men in particular has always had like, hmm. you know, a heavy hmm. sort of, but it's it's just the, the more we talk about this now, the more I kind of think about it, the more I realize just like you know how complicated and tangled this is. Yeah, and I don't think exactly. a two-hour blockbuster has 
the room to really, I mean, really stop yeah. and think about it. Well, I, like I the think idea that there's do. a militant mutant mm. who is right, yeah. but is going about it all the wrong way. And then the idea that saying, well, you know, for some people, maybe this is a really appealing option. Mm. And to really take the time to really, okay, like for example, if somebody introduced a gay cure tomorrow and somebody, to, and you know, half the community turned around and said, no fucking way. Then you got people who, you know, have been disowned by their families or have been things like, and, and to those people, maybe it would seem appealing. Now, personally, I would say, fuck no, like, you know, be who you are. You've got to be who you are. But for some people, it's not quite that easy. Well, and exactly. that to me is really fascinating, really, really mm. rich material. I just don't know if it can be done in a two-hour blockbuster, particularly, and this is the floor of the filmmakers more than anything else, a blockbuster that, that is jamming another huge yes. major plot on top yes. of it. Exactly. And that is possibly just my key gripe <laughs> with X3. Yeah, Because yeah. you could be like, do one. Or the other. Well, exactly. Stop messing them about. Mm. Instead of making X-Men, no, Wolverine fucking Origins, do the Dark Phoenix saga then. Or oh, swap yeah. them around. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But, ah, mm. what like, are so you doing? You have, again, the, the Cured storyline and the Dark Phoenix storyline. You could have just had a two-hour blockbuster superhero about the Cure storyline. Yeah, don't even probably, bring Jean Grey back like, until the, the very end yes. as a bit of a teaser for yes. the next film. Even as like a, yeah, as a teaser. And mm. then when you're doing the like gifted well yeah the cure thing like there is enough action that can be brought from that source mm-hmm. to make it still a yeah. superhero yeah, movie yeah. like yeah. because i can understand like on a script or like um in a production meeting they'd be like uh yeah it's a little bit too serious but you can still but you no, could, but that's think- just from a mainstream thing like <laughs> i think that you know it offers a lot of depth i it and does it, off- it offers it a offers, huge amount of depth yeah, and not even Enough depth that you can send a strong message through, even though it may, on the surface, seem like a not like a chill out action yeah. superhero film. It's. I just think it just seems to me like it's such because because we all know what the subtext is here. Yeah. It just it really does seem to me like particularly tricky, challenging, complicated material mm. for a blockbuster to see. Well, okay, it, maybe it, let me let me adjust what I said before. Mm. It's not that a blockbuster film can't do this it's just that a blockbuster film has to seriously consider how it's going to do this well exactly and we have something like x3 which was really rushed um because they're like oh we lost brian singer oh we lost scott summers um, what's this weird mentality hollywood has that things have to be trilogies it's like x-men 3 was clearly conceived as like a conclusion Hmm. to the plot arcs of the first two films Hmm. like what what? and they're like oh it's the ending of a trilogy and it's kind of the same with like spider-man 3 and things like that what what is this obsession with trilogies just make a fucking fourth film i know yeah but also, and breathe, that's and true. And film. also, like, leave Gene dead, Gene Grey dead. Yeah. For a little bit to, yeah. you know, make it actually mean. Exactly. Something. If you bring because her back in, the- in film four instead of film three, yeah. then it actually has an impact. Then it's not, yeah. oh, yeah, she's back. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I completely agree with another, that. Another, like, the end of Days of Future Past, I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, here we go again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Jean, it's just going to happen. Yeah, again. Gene Grey's back yet again, and it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. really mean anything. And, and, it, at the start of um, X3 with the whole, like, Gene Scott and, of course, Wolverine's got to get in on that, mm-hmm. it just means nothing. Mm. I reckon it would be more interesting if, okay, so if you're going to make Wolverine muscle in on, like, that whole, like, mm. classic yeah. relationship, do it properly so he dies on the bay rather than Scott Summers and then, well, dies. Die in inverted Like, dies commas. but, like, just goes away for a little bit. Mm. 
Because that's what X-Men really need, the films really need at the moment. Yeah. We need Wolverine to just take a fucking <laughs> little breather. A little bit less Wolverine. How many, how many are, is he what? All he's of them. Just on his, well, he's, yeah, he's been he's all, in all of them. All so of he's them. done 28, his I don't know. seventh and then he's got two more coming out. Mm. Yep. Uh, Hugh, you can't fault his commitment. Yeah, so true. we're pretty, like, mm. I mean, we're pretty done. And then, well, I always thought, like, if you could get rid of Wolverine for a little bit, Days of Future Past could have actually had Kitty. Yeah, like, I, I, that's the thing, I know, and this is a, a big problem of which the franchise I think a little bit. Is that so refreshing and yeah. so good, and something we need at the moment? Yeah, I, I think it is very Hugh Jackman, Wolverine heavy focused, yeah, and, yeah. and I wish we'd sort of moved away from that. He Unfortunately, felt... we can't. We, we I know, could, but, but his we relationship couldn't then. With, like because, his, like mm. air quotation relationship with Jean makes me want to vomit every time. I know. I'm so done with it, Zamet. Make it go away. <laughs> we, we hopefully X Men Apocalypse does fix that. So, but getting Please. back to to X three, um, when we have this sort of idea of this, you know, I think the best thing to do would have been to just cut away the Dark Phoenix saga and just focus on the, the cured storyline, particularly all of that. Because when you look at this idea of like the source material, and I don't actually mean the literal source material of Whedon's cured, but like real life source material. Like that whole pray away the gay or chemicals, you know, castrations or like all the experiments that were done in like implanting electrodes into the brains of gay men to try and stop them. And that was only done in 72. Okay. So we're talking recent stuff here. Um, you know, there's, it's modern there's, history. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I did a little bit of research and like there's, there's patients that were placed in a room um, with a female prostitute who was hired to seduce him. Uh, and at the same time, the pleasure centers in the brain were sort of um, wired up. And so they were basically like, you know, make sure you have sex with this prostitute. That was a fucking experiment. You know, in the early 1910s, unilateral castration was performed on several gay men, um, which I think is just removing the testes, from what I yeah, can gather. Castration. Um, and testicular tissues from heterosexual men was then transplanted what? back into the castrated patients. What? So, you know, gay and lesbians were put in, you know, people were put in mental asylums. And, you know, this... Old-timey medicine can be a lot of fun, but also Also horrible. horrifying. And, you know, this and took me... And also help fucking stupid are you three minutes of googling this took me three minutes of googling and there's a lot you could really go on um to sort of make this blockbuster film a little bit more nuanced and it kind of makes me disappointed that it didn't do any of this yeah and again that huge flaw is is that it just takes these two well-known storylines the dark phoenix saga and and the cured and and also it does take some elements of a two-part joe casey written story with this sort of villain who was in it for like maybe two issues called Warp Savant, whose disintegration powers um, Phoenix adopted. And they just mash these together somewhat haphazardly. And I think it's the detriment of the whole film. You know, the, you know, the Dark Phoenix is a huge part of what make the X-Men the X-Men. And, you know, it was that slow build and, you know, Jean Grey doesn't die during the reorbit. She transcends and transfer, you know, then, you know, reforms herself and, you know, calls herself the Phoenix and then gets systematically brainwashed by that illusionist asshole. Then she joins the Hellfire Club. Then she becomes a Dark Phoenix, fucks up the X-Men, shoots off to space, eats a planet or eats a sun and then comes back to Earth. Then you have that whole Xavier boop-boop-booing so she yeah. kind of like maybe, maybe don't go insane and kill a planet. Um, and then that whole that that Shia Empire stuff goes down. Uh, you know, there's a sweet moon fight that we didn't get because I just you know just jammed this into this storyline. You know, because Jean Grey will you know kills herself, sacrifices herself, and like you know we're, we're left with this sort of closing dialogue in in the comics that you know she could have lived to become a god, but it was more important for her to die as a human. 
Okay, and that is really fucking great stuff you could really play with. Like, yeah, there's the Cured storyline, which is all these really interesting things about, you know, society and our place, and if there was a cure, you could take it. And the Dark Phoenix storyline is this idea of you are given ultimate power. You could literally become a god, but... You know, for Jean, it was more important to and, die as a human. And that's really is, fucking cool. The thing that really shits me with X3 and, like, the Dark Phoenix adaptation mm. is that she just becomes, like, a like a brute for Magneto. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in the comic until, <clears throat> like, oh, I don't know. I think they gave it a go at some point and then people not just forgot really. it. They're, they're like, I can't remember. Really. <laughs> like, like, Jean Grey and Magneto have never like, been like that. Who yeah. gives a shit? Like, like at this, no. At this point in I the would X-Men, rather... Mm. I like. I would rather say we have the first two as like a build up team building, getting pretty close. Let's chuck in like the cured thing as the third movie. Fourth movie comes back, but it's all about yeah the like rise and fall of power of Gene, the team like being like I'm conflicted. I we love this person, mm. we want to help this person, but we are way out of our depth and. Just something else. Just something else. <laughs> I don't really think that these two storylines should have connected in the way that we saw it. Um, and I also think at this point, I was really sick of Magneto and to an extent Wolverine. Uh, and I felt the other X-Men needed some time to breathe as well as other villains. Um, so and I really thought there was a big disconnect from like X1 and X2 and then to X3. And you could have really done something that only not only tied everything together, but also shined a light on some glaring plot holes that um, sort of remained unanswered. Like in X1, who built that machine that Magneto used to turn people into mutants? Was that Magneto oh, that yeah. built it? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And in X2, who was behind, you know, the whole Weapon X experiments on mutant facilities? Like really, who was the big head was honcho? It was just one of the um, pers- people working for them. So who was, like, the person behind all that? You oh, know. I don't know. Exactly. So I think X2... Holy crap, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of really good opportunities for, like, some really big sort of string-pulling villains yeah. there. Like So in X3... and I, no, I, I've, they're all like, oh, Magneto. Really what I would have done if I was helming that whole project. And I really think using the X-Men mythos, using what has come in the comic books beforehand... The answer should have been glaringly obvious as someone known as Nathaniel Essex, otherwise known as Mr. Sinister, who is a long-term villain of the X-Men franchise and often associated with Apocalypse. Um, He has a huge impact on Scott Summers' childhood and he's obsessed with genetics um, and evolution as well as an unhealthy obsession with a Scott Summers' bloodline. So my ideal X-Men 3 is not call it X-Men 3 The Last Stand, but is to call it uh, X-Men 3 Legacy. Um, And what I really want to do is play around with ideas of death, rebirth, and of course, the legacy that we all leave behind. Uh, And a little bit about survival of the fittest, because again, leading into apocalypse. So initially you want to open it up with generally the same, like the idea of Angel cutting off his wings and his dad interrupting him, barging into the bathroom, and then is, is a great moment um, of, of, of cinema. I really love that part about X3. Uh, and I think keep it in there because it's really a good way to sort of show the tone. Only keep it in there if you're going to keep using Angel, though. I am. Good. So have that, but then we sort of get a montage, uh, sort of a bit of a cut montage of Angel sort of growing up, in quotation marks. Um, so we kind of see him being tested on um, and sort of like, you know, being experimented on. And you can use iconic shots of Angel um, that – a very resemblance to um, Angel being pinned up to the wall, like in um, the comic book Mutant Massacre, um, which is where he gets sort of Angel with his wings spread out, just pinned it to the uh, walls of a sewer. 
So basically it's a lot of medical stuff um, and that sort of interspliced with, you know, fallout from the last film. You know, you'd sort of tie up those loose ends about mutants and humans and where they are sort of socially. Um, you know, so sort of hints to what sort of happened. And then we sort of get a close-up of someone, you know, taking Angel's blood with a needle, and that can transition us to sort of Scott Summers, also going under the sort of same um, experiments or same sort of um, tests where he's also getting blood samples being taken. And then it's just Scott in the med bay from previous films, um, and it's a male doctor who's running some tests, and this is Dr. Hank McCoy, Beast but not in beast mode. He's not blue, he's not furry, he's simply just Dr. Hank McCoy. Okay, remember this is pre-first class, yeah. this is yeah. all this stuff, so yeah. we can still sort of play around with this. Like, so they're kids. So this oh, is basically cool. Kelsey Grammer as Kelsey Grammer yeah. taking some blood samples. Toss, oh, I was going to do the Fraser thing, but I forgot how it goes. Toss, Toss salad, salad and, and scrambled, scrambled eggs. eggs. That's, that's, that's the oh, one. But, but just the possibilities, we're back in the... Uh, Innocent Days of Yore of 2006 <laughs> when the X-Men franchise wasn't completely fucked. Wasn't balls. So you know, they're chatting. Yeah, expectations yeah. were still nice yeah, and high for each so, new film. So good. It so they're chatting. a time of, you know, mm, hope. Hope and wonder. And they're chatting about, like, his physical health, his mental health, his powers and grief and how he's coping with the loss of Gene. You know, because he's still mourning. And so we kind of, you know, he's thinking about, you know, Scott's like, I- I'm really bummed out. I don't really want to be with the X-Men anymore. He's thinking about leaving. And so how everything is reminding him of Gene and he just doesn't want to be here. And Hank McCoy can really counsel him a bit and be like, talk to him about, well, what would she want him to do? You know, this process of moving on. And he can start talking about in some cultures, you know, we only truly die when the world forgets us. And, you know, and Jean was a remarkable woman and her sacrifices have made things better for mutant kind. You know, this whole idea of death, rebirth and, you know, legacy, what we leave behind, you know, the central themes that I want this sort of film to be about. And then Xavier enters, you know, Dr. McCoy is saying, you know, he's finishing up. Everyone on the team is doing really well. You know, he'll send them through his report when he's done some more tests. You know, he's kind of chuffs off. You know, Wolverine can also be there. You can be like, hi, Logan, hi, Hank, whatever, friendly. It's just like a little bit of a friendly sort of to know that these people know each other, that we haven't seen them know each other, but they know each other. Um, and if you want, you can establish this a bit more, maybe have the X team running through some um, more tests, sort of that reflection of what Angel is going through, um, but they're being tested in a much better and more humane way. And you can kind of set up the sort of status quo a bit here. Maybe they're doing the danger room sequence and Scott's not doing great. He's distracted. His heart's not in it. He's, you know, making sloppy mistakes. He's just not doing well either way we sort of end up with xavier scott wolverine having a chat and storm can be there too uh and xavier is telling them that they've got rumors of mutants living under sewers you know and there's a potential sickness that only mutants are contracting Uh, he's been using cerebro cerebro's picking up shit it's like there's an empty void of wherever he tries to look into this um, his intel. And this is where you can have a cameo of whoever you want to throw in. Some people I would have, it would be uh, Pete Wisdom, Domino, Sage, Val Cooper, uh, just basically someone who is vaguely related to the X-Men um, and is a little shady and is also related to some shady government organizations like S.H.I.E.L.D. or One, or I think it's MI13, which is a British counterpart. Uh, and they can sort of come in and lay it all out like a little, like, look, this is the first mutant that we sort of had this and she was a British woman. Her name was Betsy Bruddock, and she called herself Revanche, or Psylocke, but I have reasons for Revanche, and again, look, we're borrowing and twisting the X-Men mythos, uh, we're just not adhering to it 100%. 
Which is fine. It's an, exactly. adaptation. it's an adaptation. It's a movie. So, um, you know, the Simpsons... That sounded super aggressive. It did. But I'm but passionate hey. about the difference between source material and adaptation. Exactly. Like, a 13-year-old would be like, oh, you can't call Betsy Braddock revenge. That was Quanon. It needs to be Psylocke. But I'm like, pass me. Chill. I understand what we're doing, but we're doing something different. So you can talk about the symptoms of this virus, uh, whatever, and you can go into some sort of morbid detail, but it all ends with a huge spike in their power signature and then death. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our investigation led us, you know, all over the globe and, you know, we've got something about an underground labyrinth where, you know, a group of mutants are living and there's just, you know, maybe a lot of dead ends and, you know, one word keeps popping up, you know, this word sinister or potentially like Project Sinister. We don't know what it is, but it just kind of keeps popping up there. There's some ties to uh, some human rights violations of the Worthington Industries. You know, we've exhausted everything. And at this point, I probably would make it Pete Wisdom, who is a mutant who does his sort of hot knives um, ability, and he works for the British um, spy agency, MI13. And that way you can kind of be like, our jurisdiction ends here. Um, my hands are tied. The American government doesn't really want to deal with this because mutant-human relations are still kind of tense. And if either side, like humans, mutants, get wind of whatever's happening this here, it's, it's not great. It's like it's a potential manufactured virus. This ain't good. So um, here's the file. Uh, good luck with it. The last known address we were looking into is, you know, this one here. And Xavier can be looking at that and be like, oh, sorry, sorry, what? Hang on, that address, that's Hank McCoy's address. What the fuck is going on? And then Xavier can do his, like, boop, 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 mind scan, uh, you know, and be like, where's Hank? Where's Hank? He's off the premise. He can't find him. You know, he's getting some glimpses of, like, blood and samples and everything he sort of took from all the mutants that he was there. And sort of words, sinister, 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 like, over and over again. And then he just... Hank McCoy disappears off the mind grid, whatever that is, the astral plane. And Logan is like, we have to go after him. And Scott's about to agree. And then he's just like, deflates. He sums down. He's like, nah, I'm sorry, Professor, but I can't do this. This is not my fight anymore. I'm a liability. I I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I can't lead the X-Men right now. I'm going to go chuff off to Alaska. So good luck with this all. And then there can be like a bit of a debate about, you know, Scott's obligation to mutant kind and Scott's obligation to himself. Um, you know, he didn't sign up for this. You know, when Xavier found found him, like, you know, I was just a kid, you know, I didn't want to be part of this. I lost Gene, love of my life, and I don't want to lose myself. Yeah. I'm out. Yep. Xavier, Fair. Warranted. goodbye. 
And Xavier can be like pretty bummed. He's like talking about mutant rights and you know, everyone can have, you know, have their say. You know, Wolverine, like he's in a different place than what he was like two movies ago. And the X-Men are something that he believes in and he really wants this to sort of work and this is something he can fight for. But Scott's mind's made up. And so now we can sort of split up into their respective storylines. Because this is a problem of always doing an ensemble film is that you need to sort of have different threads that sort of move away and sort of merge together. So you have these sort of uh, storylines of Scott off in Alaska trying um, to start a normal life, you know, past the X-Men. Uh, Xavier and Storm uh, running around the school uh, and Wolverine has taken a small team to track down Hank and investigate Worthington Industries. Now with Xavier and Storm being in that school... This storyline is there to sort of provide the backbone of like bigger issues that are going on. You know, sort of the ethics of using your superpowers, you know, what they're going to do when they graduate, you know, the mark that they want to leave the world again, using those themes of, you know, legacy. Uh, And you can sort of play with them bringing up Magneto's ideology and the events of the past films and this idea that, you know, is solving everything with your fists necessarily a good idea? Because that's what we seem to be doing and you seem to be promoting. Uh, and you can have a lot of fun with this, but this is primarily where you can have that theoretical debate of the themes in the film sort of shown out through kids and mutant teenagers that are going on. Scott's storyline is potentially a little convoluted as it does involve clones, but bear with me. Um, so I did mention it before. There's a character called Madeline Pryor. How do you feel like we're three hours into this film? <laughs> it is a potential of how long this film could go, but for me it can be kind of quick and snappy and there probably yeah. is a lot of fat you can cut. But... Madeline Pryor, in the comic books, uh, was a clone of Jean Grey that Scott ended up meeting after Jean Grey's original death. Um, They fell in love and had a kid, and and it was originally not going to be the clone of Jean, just some resemblance, and was intended for this to be Scott's life. You know, he'd leave the X-Men, grow up, have a family, and be a reserve member, but his storyline was pretty much done. You know, it was this idea of the character evolving, you know, and this is what I think Chris Claremont wanted from the X-Men was that they grow up, they have their moment in the sun, they move on, and then they retire. You know, later writers, of course, didn't want that, so we ended up with Madeline as Jean's clone, and when Jean Grey came back, Back to life, uh, you know, Scott left Maddie and also the baby uh, to be with his now dead ex-girlfriend. Uh, and characters then more bullshit happened. They are because then Madeline ended up being possessed by a devil or something and, and becomes known as the Goblin Queen and then eventually dies. And That's all not a kind thing. of Can I just point nonsense. out yes? that people get paid to write this I stuff. know, and they're beautiful. So my intention is to sort of streamline that old nonsense, but keep it in line what I believe sort of Chris Claremont wanted when he wrote the original storyline of Madeline Pryor and uh, Scott Summers and sort of get rid of that excess silliness yep. um, while keeping some excess. Again, this whole idea of being inspired, adapting the mythos, not just, you know, being completely tied to it. So Scott goes up to Alaska. In the comic, he works for his grandparents as a pilot. And you can kind of keep that the same if you want. Uh, Either way, he meets Madeline. Uh, One of the two options, either it can be played by Famke Jensen, the same actress as Jean, or someone who just looks pretty much like her. Um, So you can kind of have that, wait, is that Jean or... No, I don't think it is. There but, is an actress who hmm, does look like Famke Jensen, I and I just Scott's cannot remember for my life who it is. Yeah, I, I don't know either. But so basically someone, um, you could kind of either resemble um, her or, yeah. again, the same actress. Um, you know, they meet, you know, he can even say that she reminds him of someone that he's lost. You know, this is a bit of a love story. You know, she works for his grandparents. She's got her own history, and they hit it off. You know, this is that sort of B story 
where we get a glimpse at, you know, life after the X-Men, you know, the potential happy ending, you know, a legacy of having your own family. You know, it might not be world-changing, but sometimes a simple life is perfectly fine. Yeah. And that's sort of what Scott Summers, this idea is he's sort of embodying. So Wolverine and his small team are now on that hunt for McCoy. And you can really play with the team uh, and who you want to be in it. Like, ideally, I'd love to have a teleporter. So, again, Nightcrawler back. Yep, good. Uh, yes. And I was thinking him, Wolverine, and Colossus as they've built that in the in that relationship up in the comics. Um, but then for me, it's like, well, that's very male-centric. So you could swap out Nightcrawler for Blink, um, have Rogue on the team, but, again, she kind of works was better Blink in the Was Blink in Days of Future Past? Yeah, she's she the one that with she the teleportation. She doesn't upset me. Though. It does. Oh, yeah. It did. Yeah. She's like cool. the Asian pink-skinned cool. or purple-skinned with the sort of tattoo marks. Uh, and a very cool character. So you could have she's her. She's so cool. Um, maybe Rogue, but, again, as I said, I like kind of Rogue working in the Academy with Bobby. Uh, and maybe those two can play a part in the storyline happening at the Academy if you want. Cool. And you could have someone like Wolfsbane, who is like a, a wolf lady, uh, maybe even Kitty Pride. But, you know, you've really got a lot of options, but I'd like to keep it as small as possible because eventually they're going to meet up with Beast if and then I, eventually Well, if Angel. I was, like, doing that Wolverine team, I'd probably go for, like, sort of stealthy kind of yeah. X-Men because you, you probably don't want to make a big show of it, well, even exactly. though Wolverine is a, like, yeah, show. But so sometimes again, he's not. He's and not. That's, he's, he's that's cool. what he is. He was trained by ninjas. He's meant to be stealthy. Yeah. So... I really want to keep it kind of small, so yeah. kind of stealthy, because again, they're meeting up with Beast, Angel, and their storylines are going to converge with Scott and Maddie. Um, so, as a fanboy, I'd love to be like the original five X Men. So you'd have Scott and Maddie replacing Gene. So then you'd have Iceman, Angel, and Beast. But you know, that's just for the fanboy in me. At this point, it doesn't really matter. But for the storyline, all you need is Wolverine, someone who can teleport, and someone who can't hide themselves in plain sight among humans so for the sake of argument let's say wolverine blink um but play up the sort of purple skin so it's really obviously she's not human and colossus um and they're going after hank and they go to his last known address and it's a mess like you know homemade laboratory that's been neglected there's shit all over the place you know mathematical formula like you know scrawled on the walls beakers and that usual stuff to note science was conducted in this place um (laughs) science and they're looking into some of the files and there's some sort of crucial information about you know what these mutants were in these tunnels and these like scrawled like Morlock, you know, uh, uh, the word and some extra stuff on what Project Sinister is. Uh, And they also find Hank McCoy, but he's now the Beast. He's that hairy blue son of a bitch that we've all known to come and love. So cuddly. And it's a little bit of a tense moment. You know, know, no one knows what's really going on because, you know, he's he's not – the Hank McCoy we saw before, and he they think he's a brute. Maybe a little bit of a fight goes on, but when he speaks, Logan can be like, hang on, Hank, is that you? What? Uh, and then you have a nice little moment of, look what's been done to me. I'm a monster. And that's when you have the clearly purple blink or Nightcrawler be all like, man, it's what's on the inside that counts. You know, Dude, or, or chill, some cool. such. Yeah, exactly. That whole kind of. Or Nightcrawler with his super cute accent yeah. being like, no, nah, dude. It's cool, chill. It's cool, chill. That we're, would be great. In, in that exact... Yeah, nah, cool, yeah, yeah. chill, we're blue, it's fine. Um, blue buds! Blue buds, high five. high five. And again, Beats can be um, divulging some information about, uh, you know, the Project Sinister, what it was. He could be mentioning a legacy, clutching like a briefcase, which contains everything he's gathered from the Academy, all those blood samples and whatnot of the X-Men and the students. And as Beast is talking about, you know, uh, uh, what he made him do and what he did to him and the experiments that he, uh, uh, you know, he, he witnessed that him do sort of thing. 
And when they finally like, who are you talking about? What are you, you saying here a lot? What the hell are you doing? He's like, ah, oh, oh, that's when he mentions Sinister. He called himself Mr. Sinister. And now everyone's clued in that, oh, okay, there's this big bad guy behind all this. It's not this project. It's a dude. And that's when the Marauders attack. Now, this is our first real fight, uh, which I get from an action film. Might be a little late in the game, particularly with the other threads sort of being relatively fight-free. But you could have some mutants at the Academy fighting or Cyclops using his non-mutant fighting abilities to take out some arseholes at a bar. You know, classic stuff that sort of happens in the comics all the time. Uh, there's one great comic where it's Alex, which is Scott Summer's brother, and Scott, they're at a bar and people are like thinking that they're gay lovers because they're sort of having sort of intimate chat between siblings. And they're like, no, wait, you know, we're not actually gay, we're brothers, but actually, wait, no, we don't give a shit. Let's fight, you dicks. You guys are being arseholes. And they fight. Um, so, hey, why not include, you know, Alex living in Alaska as well? And this is, again, before first class. We can do this. Who cares? Give him the family. Yeah, give him the family. Give the family. Uh, and this can be sort of happening at the same time as the Marauder fight. Um, so, first off, who the hell are the Marauders is a good question I can see in both your eyes. Yep. So, in the comics uh, and the great 90s cartoon, uh, Sinister has two sets of sort of underling groups of bad guys. Um, and I say the Marauders because the other group is called the Nasty Boys. And they're hilarious. Uh, they yeah. have a guy called Gorgeous George who's Australian and has a tar-like body and another one called Ramrod who controls wood and plants. Okay. It is literally an amazing team. But, but can, can we yeah. can we have them? Oh, I don't see why not. Well, like, you can't, you know. Gorgeous George and Ramrod, yes. I love Gorgeous George already. So... That's why I would choose the Marauders, um, because they're a group of mercenaries and they played a big part in the Mutant Massacre storyline, which I'm borrowing a little bit of. So the Marauders have a pretty big lineup you can choose from. Um, you know, they've gone through about four different iterations. Sabretooth was a member at one point. Uh, plus, you, know, you can always add some X-Men villains that haven't been used if you wanted to. You know, I definitely include uh, one guy called Scalponter. He's a Native American who can change the configuration of any technological device and he uses that just to basically make a lot of guns, um, as well as, again, Sabretooth. He's got a mutant called Malice, and she can possess people. Another guy called Harpoon, who was an Inuit. Uh, there's also a Kareen on the team who was someone who was, like, in Nam and has, like, uh, PTSD. So Sinister really believed in diversity, which is something you can't really say for all of the other X-Men teams. Hey, so I kind of like him point. for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, any of, like, the villains and, you know, they, they fight. And the Marauders after McCoy and, and more particularly what's in the briefcase, you know, um, they fight. The X-Men look like they're going to lose. They're getting battered hard. But then the briefcase gets battered opened and, like, the blood and the vials, which are all labelled, like, Summers, Logan, et cetera, et cetera, uh, just smashes. And one of the Marauders are like, well, he ain't going to like that, McCoy. You've outlived your usefulness. And then they go in for the kill. And that's when McCoy can grab one of the syringes that are lying around and it's got, like, Legacy labelled on it jabs it into one of them, maybe one with some sort of cool visual explodey powers, and then that villain gets all sick, you know, using the same stuff from, like, what the legacy virus was doing, mm-hmm. those symptoms, and then he gets all explodey, and McCoy can be like, get the fuck down, uh, to the X-Men, and the villain goes boom, and, like, takes out the rest of the Marauders. You know, they're dead. Even Sabretooth, you know, just gone, just boom. Because the thing with the Marauders is that they are extremely expendable. You know, they always come back because they're mm. clones. And McCoy knows this. The rest of the X-Men don't, of course. And they can kind of get rightfully annoyed at him and be that kind of like, what What the fuck did you just do? We don't kill. We're X-Men. What the hell is going on? And Wolverine can be a little bit pissed that he didn't kill uh, Sabretooth, which is a super weird thing to be annoyed at. 
but kind of justified for Wolverine to be like, I wanted to kill Sabretooth. Yeah. Uh, and this is where, you know, McCoy can fill them in or, or at least some of the way, like, you know, this person, Mr. Sinister, he's a geneticist. Um, there are a lot of rumours and whispers about this, that and the other, and they ask him about the blood and the samples and Hank says, you know, he's, he's honestly, he's got no idea. It's what he's had to do. And then we can get a little more backstory. Maybe Hank tells him about Mr. Sinister. He met a doctor, called himself Nathan Milbury, and he was interested in McCoy's work. You know, it was all very above board and then it started to get, you know, a little bit more questionably ethics. So, you know, samples would turn up and I was told, you know, no question to where it came from. And for a while it was fine. Like there were some samples, like blood samples of a mutant who could. And, you know, here you can kind of get those Or even if, like, they were references. getting, like, carried away by, like, their work and their discoveries that yeah. they just, like, the whole, like, checking where it was coming from just kind of slipped their minds or at least Hank's mind because it's like... Yeah, I'm, I'm continuing my work. Doing it, things. it doesn't matter. You know, other bits and bobs. Like, like whatever. And who he probably, like, at this point, like, probably truly believing that mm. what's his face... Nathan, yeah. Nathan had, like, good intentions. Yeah, and he sort of continues research. is being very progressive. Uh, but then it just kept getting worse. Like, you know, at one point, a goddamn severed wing... Like a giant wing came and that's when I just couldn't go on. Like, what the fuck is this? Now now I can't turn a blind eye. This, something's fucked up here. And that's when Milbury turned sinister. You know, he turned... Uh, means- Finds a cupboard with yeah. mutant parts in exactly. it. That'd be great. Oh, like Toad's cool. tongue. Yeah. Oh. I I would go for a creepy. Yeah. Like definitely a creepy museum. mutant museum or something like that. <sighs> I'd love that. I'd um, love to be the prop maker for that. Oh, Dream good. job. And then... Beast can be like, and that's when, you know, Sinister turned Sinister and then he turned me into this, like, pointy big blue fur. Uh, and he forced me to run experiments on mutants. Like, he just ramped it up. It was like, oh, there's no point in hiding this now. He's <laughs> working for me. Uh, and then he made me make a virus after virus. Like, yeah, he'd make you make a virus, he'd make me cure it. And then he'd make me find another, I could do another virus. And then until I finally made one that I couldn't cure. And he wanted me to test it on, on wait, more, then, so, more mutants. Wait, with that, how... Did Hank be blue then? So yeah, Sinister made him? Yeah, Sinister can be like um, testing on you or whatever and it made or him blue. Or like, yeah, like or whatever. you can't change it back now or yeah. you can't do shit about it. Something like yeah, along okay. those lines. All right. Um, you know, and then he can be like he wanted me to test like this like this final like this final virus on a bunch of mutants, but I couldn't, so I helped some of them escape. Um, many were really disfigured. They were on, you know, and they ran off into the surrounding underground tunnels. And Sinister mockingly called them his, you know, Morlock problem and said his legacy will ensure that they don't survive. And, you know, that's what the virus is. It's his legacy. And that's what, you know, I used on the Marauders. Uh, he said only the strongest will survive. And this will be mutant kind's greatest test. You know, he's going to wipe out the Morlocks. And he has no use for them now. And he's made this perfect virus. You have to stop him. You know, they're in an underground underground sewer beneath Alaska. And then Logan's like, hang on, Alaska? Scott's in Alaska. This this can't be good. This this is this is cannot be a coincidence. And then you have that sort of telepathic communication conference with Xavier. And then Xavier's been dealing with, you know, the problems with school, rumors of a mutant only virus have been spreading among the students. They're a little unraveled. Some of the students have become ill. So, you know, you can really play this up with that sort Quarantine. of fear. Yeah. Yeah, cool. You know, this Xavier Institute thread, Quickly, like Yep. Where's Magneto in all of this? He's not. Who cares? He's not. That's he can have his rest. But the, remember the end of X-Men 2, he was like escaped and on the run. Yeah. 
He can still he be just, escaping on the run. On yeah, him. just, just not going to gonna reference him at all? Nope. Not gonna... Maybe is a little aside somewhere along the lines, maybe a comment about what McMahon might be doing. And again, this, this, is, this falls into this whole trilogy problem of yeah, cool. having to yeah. make sure cool. you include Wolverine mapping to make sure you include Mystique and Magneto that the X-Men have a problem with. But is this – so I'm, I'm assuming that we're not – Wrapping everything up? Yeah. Correct. Good, 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 good. So – with the Xavier Institute, um, you know, so maybe have some humans like who you know pro protesting outside Xavier's gates and call them like you know the friends of humanity. Um, maybe some protests, you know, think, think think that they're frightened, like you know, think like AIDS circa the eighties. Just yeah, cool. no one knows what the fuck is going on. Like yeah. no more muties. Muties are going to give us this virus. You know, we need to make sure they're segregated out of the way or whatever. You really ramp up yeah. that. And I guess problem. like having the school like in lockdown and like having the turrets out and mm, shit like shit that. like that. Like, be like, what's going on here? Just things are not good. Exactly. So Logan tells him what's going on. Xavier is, you know, very concerned. The parents like shaking down the gates. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. So Logan tells him, you know, what's going on. Xavier is very concerned. You know, conference and Scott and Scott isn't happy about all this because, you know, he's in the middle of something and plus it's inappropriate. And like, I'm living my life. I don't want to do all this kind of X-Men bullshit. And before he can really protest, you know, Logan and Xavier sort of shut him up, explain the situation. There's a guy called Mr. Sinister. He mentions like Dr. Milbury and then Scott can be like, oh, Sorry, wait, what? Did you say Milbury? As in like Dr. Nathan Milbury? And then they're all like, sorry, what? How do you know you knew this guy? Like what the fuck is going on? Oh, from before, like this. And then Scott's can be like, I have to go. I know where I need need to be. And then, you know, Scott and Maddie relationship, you know, there's been building. He's very upfront and honest with her. And, you know, they're driving the snowy uh, Alaskan landscape and he sort of starts telling Maddie about how he grew up in an orphanage and, you know, we can have a little flashback if we wanted to. You know, there was a doctor by the name of Milbury that would come in and do these tests on us, you know, all of us and me, my brother and, and he's like, and Warren? Is that right, Warren? And, you know, we can get some sort of glimpses of memories changing. You know, one minute a kid has wings, the next he doesn't. You know, showing that his memories are, are faulty or at least been altered. You know, either way, something strange is happening. And as they're sort of nearing the old orphanage, which is all very just run down as fuck. You know, cool. the car ride can be a little bit uncomfortable. As maybe Scott is like just flat out asks Maddie, like, are, are you Jean? Like, uh, you know, it's just that little bit of, you know, that turmoil in the relationship. You know, some seeds of doubt of what the hell is happening here. Uh, at the same time, the X-Men are sort of heading that way, you know, their way to the Blackbird. Xavier can kind of, you know, read Scott's mind very briefly and he knows where he's going to go. And so they all sort of converge on this little orphanage. Although Scott's car has been abandoned and it's clear that it's sort of been that way for a few hours now. You know, they go into the orphanage and it's clear that Scott or someone has, you know, done the same. You know, everything is sort of run down except this maybe giant metallic door that sort of leads down beneath the house. And that's where they're going. You know, it's it's then that, you know, Wolverine, like, you know, sniffs the air and is all like, ah, marauders, they're here. Claws pop out. Everyone, you know, like Colossus, you know, metals up. Everyone can just be preparing for a battle. And then we sort of cut to um, the marauders. You know, they're a fresh batch here. You know, they can have some maybe nonchalant chat about being cloning and like, this is kind of fucked up. I mean, are we, you know, like memories and all this kind of thing about what does it mean to be a clone and are we even really us anymore? And whatever, there's a very basic conversation as just walking through the sewers, maybe preparing their guns or preparing their sort of, you know, very calmly about to kill a lot of people. Yeah. And then we sort of can cut to the Morlocks. And this is the first time that we're seeing them. And they're all having basically a, a gathering, uh, which is basically, for lack of a better word, a sermon. 
Um, and Warren Worthington III, otherwise known as Angel, uh, is again pinned to the wall by his one remaining wing. You know, that again, that iconic pose from the Mutant Massacre. And basically they're praying to him. They're using him as like this beautiful angel. Mm. They, they've sort of turned him into someone of a cult. Cool. And this is when Scott and Maddie enter through one of the sort of stone archways and the Morlocks are all, the fuck is this? And then Scott and Maddie are like, the fuck is this? And behind them, just a gunshot goes off. You know, Scott pushes Maddie down, and a more, you know, and a, but a Morlock just falls, and then there's just pandemonium just breaks out. The Morlocks are preparing for battle. You know, some go for Scott and Maddie, and you know, Scott's trying to do his best to protect her as the Marauders just burst out, and one of them just cold clocks Scott in the face, and he's out. Cut to the X Men Wolverines group, and Wolverine's like, "Shit, I can smell blood." They all start running. You know, again, more power up, again, more intense. And, you know, they're preparing for a major fight. They round a corner and they're nearly at the Morlock Temple and they get there and they are not prepared for what they see, which is just dead Morlocks. They're late. You know, they've been slaughtered. This is a massacre. This is the massacre where you kind of wanted. There's an outline of blood of where Angel was, but he's not there. You know, Logan notices a blast on the wall where Scott's blast hit. You know, he takes another sniff and recognizes something that shouldn't be there. You know, it's like, he's like, Gene? And, you know, he begins sort of searching the bodies. You know, Scott and Maddie aren't there. Uh, neither is Warren. And Wolverine starts, you know, tracking. is all like, ah, you know, this way. You know, doing these Wolverine bloodhound bullshit. Yep. Then Scott and Maddie, you know, go to them. They're tied up. Scott's eyes and, like, head basically are encased in, like, a heavy ruby quartz visor. You know, they're in Sinister's lair now. You know, the Marauders are watching them. You know, one calls out, like, boss, you know, they're waking up. You know, Scott walks out and he finally gets to meet this guy and how close to the comic uh, you want to make him is completely up to the production team. But, you know, again, because he's like this guy, pale, white face, diamond on his forehead, sharp teeth, uh, half a cape, that kind of stuff. It's fairly sinister. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he walks out. He's got like a surgeon apron on, um, covered in blood, and he's all like, ah, Scott. You know, it's nice to finally see you all grown up. And then Scott is like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Kind of, you know, struggles, falls to the ground, tries to slam the visor, like the whole ruby quartz visor, um, just smash on the ground so that he can finally get a complete blast at Sinister because he's like, I don't give a shit. This guy's got to go down, smashes the visor, is about to blast Sinister. And that's when Sinister just gestures and shuts his power down. So Scott can now see without glasses like he sees the world for what it is his powers are gone you can see his eyes and he's like the fuck just happened and now we have a little explanation you know really scott isn't meant to be here and sinister is a little bit disappointed that he is you know scott was meant to be done with the x-men but sinister's like you know i kind of am thanking you for providing me with a template for what is going to be my legacy you know scott's all what the hell are you talking about and sinister can reply with your bloodline of course and you know on a genetic level you are so special because again he's obsessed with the summer's line and we don't have to go into why that is just that his blood made everything possible you know scott summers truly is the strongest when it when it comes to survival according to Sinister. And he can talk about how sad he was when Gene died, and not for any sentimental reasons, but because the genetic pairing of you two would have birthed something incredible that I could, you know, that I just couldn't let not happen. You know, I'm so glad that you found Miss Grey here. And that's when Madeline can be like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, uh, my name is Maddie. Uh, and then we can kind of get that sort of Maddie is a clone Jean Grey. You know, Sinister found her in that cocoon uh, underneath the lake. Not dead, not alive, just dormant. And, you know, Maddie is a clone of Jean Grey, but without the powers because the perfect man in, in, in Sinister's eyes, Scott, needs the perfect woman, Jean, to create the perfect child for what's to come. 
Um, you know, he was hoping it would happen naturally, but now uh, Sinister, he guess it's a little too late for that. And so we get hints that Sinister was responsible for the machine that Magneto built in the first film. Again, like a sh- you know a schematic somewhere in the background or a piece of machinery somewhat lying about. And that it was, you know, his stolen research that Department H used to create Wolverine. Uh, or Sinister was behind it all. Basically, you know, I want to tie Sinister to the previous two films in a big bad way. And it was all for what Sinister calls the coming apocalypse, where yeah. only the strongest will survive. You know, during this reveal about Wolverine, this is when Wolvie can come in and just lose it. Like, what? You're responsible for this? Oh, God, you again. James, my God, I don't care about you. Marauders, do better this time with that. And then they converge on the the X-Men and Sinister just goes off into the other room he came from. And now we can get another, like, you know, fight scene. But now Scott's leading the charge. Um... And he's sort of very competent. It's that reverse of the Danger Room sequence from the beginning. You know, Scott has something to fight now. He's very protective of Maddie. He's got a reason to fight. You know, and and, and Maddie is still reeling that she's, like, being told that she's a clone. So they're fighting. They're fighting well, but they're no match for the Marauders. They're still getting their ass handed to them. And, you know, know, Scalp Hunter can fire his gun at Scott and his bullet is about to explode his face and when it just you know stops millimeters from his forehead that classic thing that happens with every X-Men film where Magneto stops the bullet yeah. Yeah. but it's not Magneto we zoom out and there's Maddie, oh. blood nose just from one side holding that bullet with this kind of awesome firebird aura around her and just sends that straight back to Scalp Hunter and he's down and she just shuts all the rest of the marauders Wolverine's all like Jean? And then she can reply with, my name is Madeline, and just slams Wolverine against the wall. She starts walking towards the others, you know, where Sinister emerges. But next to him is a different Warren. He's all blue skin, metallic wings. He's the fucking archangel now. And fucking Sinister, proud as punch at his new creation. And he's like, behold, the heralds for the apocalypse to come. What? He stops mid-sentence because this isn't what he prepared for. He didn't prepare for... Maddie to have powers. He didn't prepare for uh, his marauders to lose here. He's like, looks at Maddie, Firebird Aura. He's like, what are you? And then Maddie, Firebird Aura, going real strong, can be like, I'm your legacy. And with one movement, telekinetically just rips the metallic feathers out of Warren's wing and drives the feathers into Sinister's body. You know, he's about to go explode. You can kind of see the symptoms of the legacy virus. The idea being is that. Uh, Sinister has created Warren with these metallic wings that kind of shoot these sort of fletches that have the legacy virus in them. Yeah. And so we can kind of see these sort of symptoms of the virus kind of consuming Sinister's body and then they just sort of retreat and stop. And then Sinister can kind of smile and be like, it is survival of the fittest and I am fit or like I am strong. And then from behind Cyclops can be like, no, you're weak. Cyclops can kind of look down, summons up the willpower, opens his eyes and just shoots right past Maddie, blasts into Sinister and just rips straight through him and he doesn't stop. He just unleashes what Scott Summers should be able to do, which is a fucking giant force from his eyes. Scott Summers leads the X-Men for a reason. He's a very powerful cunt. Hmm. So just completely slaughters um, Sinister. You know, he then kind of closed his eyes, fumbles for another pair of glasses on his purse and sort of, you know, runs on to Maddie. And together they walk sort of towards the room Sinister came from. You know, Maddie kneels down at Warren and, you know, does something to him, like maybe the blue skin fades from his skin. You know, we can assume now he's sweet. 
and we enter the room and we see an operating table, you know, rows of marauders and sort of, you know, giant tanks that are green fluid around them and like the Jean Grey cocoon. And sort of with one sort of swipe of a hand, sort of just Maddie destroys all the marauder tanks and then sort of the rest of the X-Men sort of enter behind them. And this is where I sort of kind of stumble on what to do here. Like I, I personally like Madeline more than Jean Grey. Um, and you could do something with her sacrificing herself and transferring, you know, transferring the Phoenix Force into the cocoon and Jean emerging. Um, you know, you could have her sort of touch that cocoon and just announce that Jean's gone, you know, truly this time, but she will rise again, but Maddie will continue her legacy or again, touch the cocoon and have a transference with Maddie gaining some of Jean's memories sort of uh, here. You can really play with it. I'm torn between Maddie not wanting a life that was stolen from someone else and Maddie honouring Jean but continuing down her own path. Like, you know, Jean made a sacrifice save mutants. That is a really of. tough choice. It is. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Jean made that sacrifice in X2 um, once before and, you know, you know, she wants that again. And maybe, like, again, the touch of the cocoon and maybe the, the egg or the cocoon can kind of crack open. And, you know, Gina rises as the phoenix and literally burns any trace of the legacy virus away. And maybe that's when, you know, maybe Warren reverts back to like, you know, normal wings and non-blue face. Or maybe, I don't know, like, yeah, I think I kind of like the idea of like touching the cocoon and like transferring to Madeline mm. and like sort of the cosmic side of the yeah. Phoenix Force just dissipates into the atmosphere and it's like, yeah, Madeline is taking that place now. Like, Yeah, because I really like Madeline as a character a lot more interesting, I find, at least early on Madeline than Jean Grey. Um, well, I feel like Jean Grey is like flooding, flogging a dead horse. Yeah, like, exactly. So, kind of, or I've, flogging a dead telepath. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, we've already got two. So uh, whatever happens with that, um, you know, either way, it's back at the X-Mansion and maybe we tie it back to the sort of school with Xavier and Storm. Maybe Xavier doing a nice little speech, possibly like a graduation of mutants at the Academy. I, I know that it might be a little bit too on the nose, a little bit too contrite, but like, you know, a commencement speech. Um, hey, whatever. We'll go with, say, the metal, uh, Gene arises as the Firebird and burns Legacy Virus. So then we have this sort of commencement speech by Xavier and then we glimpses of the X-Men of what they're up to now. Because, again, this idea of, yeah, we're completing this trilogy of X-Men or at least we're kind of completing this current storyline of X-Men. And Maddie and Scott in Alaska living their couple life. Maybe now she's pregnant with either Nathaniel Summers, who will grow up to be Cable, or Rachel, um, Mm. because I love both of those things. Um, And it could end in a similar echo of, you know, the world is what we make it, you know, very positive and upbeat. But then I really want that sort of quick change in tone as during the speech, Xavier just completely changes expressions. Uh, so his expression and his tone and with like a look of almost like fear, you know, just finish whatever, whatever sense he's saying, like something along the lines of, you know, people hate and fear us, um, you know, because they just do not understand us. You know, we as a people, as mutants need to band together now more than ever. And then a complete kind of tonal change to be like, because apocalypse is coming and we need to be prepared. And then we can sort of end that with the same shot of Angel flying, but this time it's above the X-Mansion and maybe he sheds his organic wings and out pops the techno-organic ones again. Maybe his fucking skin turns blue or both, whatever. Basically just about to swoop down into the X-Men mansion and then we have credits. And that's my magnum opus of my (laughs) ideal X-Men film because fuck, I love X-Men. Uh, granted, uh, I haven't really made um, 
an X-Men it's a film as much, it's a as much as a Cyclops film. But my mm. counter-argument is that Fox keeps making Wolverine films. Uh, mm. And I just felt as an answer trilogy, because again, you know, as me, me, we as moviegoers love things as three, uh, needed something that sort of tied together what sort of came before, answer some questions, uh, like who again, who gave Magnetic Well, that text. can still just, lead just, to um, the last stand, which is like, I mean, to first class, which yeah. is like, you know, fine, because again, fast bender. Oh, exactly. But and to me as well, I granted there is some... Uh, you know, I don't have the answer for where is Magneto or where is Mystique, but that's you know what I really have a problem with, not just X three, but I X-Men just film think you need, uh, you know, you know what I really think is missing. I just think you need a real arc for Wolverine <laughs> because like he hasn't had enough of them. Uh, it's very true. He's only and gone through seven. Yes, um, yeah, and, uh, next and you know, like, nice. like you know, the fact is, I mean, I know, I know that Wolverine very much has his own place in his own films. Yes, and you know that his uh his presence definitely has never overpowered any of the other X Men films. Very true, and he's not the love. protagonist in any films no. outside of his own films. No, but I just feel like you know I maybe am, I am maybe a if you, maybe if you um. I'm just talking. Just like, I've taken the role of a Hollywood producer here. <laughs> maybe if you just, maybe if you just took out Scott Summers and made him Wolverine. <laughs> maybe uh-huh, if you yeah. like uh-huh. killed Scott and maybe, Summers oh. off screen, uh-huh, uh-huh. and um, maybe Wolverine could get married yeah, to the yeah. Jean Grey clone. And then, and then, but, but because you know Wolverine gets married to the Jean Grey clone, but. He could be a clone of Wolverine as well, so then Wolverine can keep being the main character of the films. Maybe he doesn't retire. Maybe Wolverine even marries a Wolverine clone. Then we get more Wolverine, and that's That's what everyone wants, right? That's true. We do have X23 Laura, who is the female clone of Wolverine, so correct. Exactly, (laughs) right? They're a perfect match. They are. They are just more match made in heaven. So that's my ideal um, X Men 3 script, uh, uh, or at least storyline. Thoughts? Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, I, dig, I don't. I don't really buy that it's the end of a trilogy, though. No, like, yeah, it, it really just feels like. But I mean, an X Men is like it's like a trilogy, but a not a trilogy. Well, but, but yeah. if you really stop to think about it, it's like, yeah, but it, but it kind of is though, because like it, it, the yeah, last that's stand what I wraps just up. Said it is, but it is. No, but it, but it, but it is. It just is. <laughs> yeah, like it the is, last stand wraps up the whole like all the plots that are set up in the first two films, like yeah. everything coming after that. <laughs> It does. Yeah. Not, not well. Not but well, does. but it does. Yeah. But, right. like, so, you know, everything coming after that is kind of, you know, they say uh, Days of Future Past is sort of the second part of the first class trilogy that they're making, which is going to conclude with Apocalypse. Mm. And obviously there's a new Wolverine film coming, which is going to be its own trilogy because everything has to be a fucking trilogy. Like, but, yeah, yeah no, I really do think those three films kind of solidly... Mm. Yeah, so I, to me, yeah. it's just like I'd love a, I'd love an X Men film where Magneto isn't involved. I'd love yeah, an X Men film that's, that that's doesn't it. That's focus why on. I would say Magneto. it's not the, what you what you're pitching isn't the description of it's not the ending of a trilogy because you kind of need Magneto to end that yeah. particular trilogy. But that's why it doesn't have to be a fucking trilogy. Exactly. It can yeah. just keep going. It does. Yeah. Bring Magneto in the next film. Yeah. yeah. So I hope everyone listening enjoyed uh, uh, that. And if you have any other kind of like, your ideal X Men three. The Last Stand or X-Men 3, something other than that, please let us know. Uh, just email us in, sanspantsradio at gmail.com or let us know on Twitter. We're simply just at sanspantsradio. Or the Facebook. Mm. Or other sorts of forms we're of social easy. media. Media, Yeah, we're pretty easy. <laughs> just check out our website, sanspantsradio.com. It's all pretty uniform. And on that note, I've been Joel. I've been Gabe. And I've been Molly. May all your X-Men films be Wolverineless, but they're not <laughs> because he's contracted till he dies, I'm assuming. What else can he do? What other arcs can Wolverine go through, Wrigley? Well, we've got two more films to find out. Yeah. If-
If you think this show is worth at least a dollar, why not donate to our Patreon account? Follow the links on our website, sanspantsradio.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.